talented musicians in this place. So, you know, for centuries now, the church has memorialized today, this first uh, day of Holy Week, as Palm Sunday because of the branches that the crowd spread out before Jesus as he entered Jerusalem. Uh, branches, just like you're holding a fresh uh, green palms from nearby trees, all falling together in front of him. And one, one author described as a verdant tapestry of endearment for our Lord and Master to ride over as he made his way one plodding step at a time on donkey's back. Made his way into the city, into the, the midst of pilgrims with their songs of high praise to the God that had set their ancestors free from slavery in Egypt. Sounds pretty exciting, right? Pretty dramatic. Uh, except according to the Pharisees, it was a problem. But it wasn't the palm branches that riled them up, and it wasn't the words that the people were singing, but it was the who that was at the center of all this attention and adulation that got their goat. And it got them more than just a little mad that some nobody Nazarene of low estate and questionable parentage was letting all of it happen. And so church, that's the setting for our lectionary text today. Again, looking at the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to be looking at Luke 19. And I hope you're following along in your own Bibles there with you, even though it's on the screen. And I'm going to be reading to you Luke 19 verses 29 through 40. And this is what he tells us, so that when, when he, of course, Jesus, drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. And so those who were sent went away and found it just as they had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Let's pray. God, our Father, we cry out to you this morning. We cry out this morning to open our hearts by the leading of your Holy Spirit and to bring us, Lord, uh, revival. Bring revival as a nation and as a church and as individuals through the full counsel of your word that separates truth from error uh, as you reveal your Son to us in these next, through next few moments. And we ask it, Father, in his name. Amen. You know, triumphant moments are pretty few and far between in the earthly life of our Lord Jesus. If you remember his nativity in Bethlehem, there was no room to welcome him. And so he started out life in a stable. And from, from there on, for nearly 30 years, while, as the Bible says, he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, he lived in almost complete obscurity until he appeared 
in Nazareth to begin his public ministry, only to have someone ask, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And in the end, right, he was crucified between two thieves and laid to rest in the tomb of another man. But, but there are three brief days, three very brief days that stand out as sharp exceptions to the rest. Three days of clearly observable triumph that catapult the life of our Lord uh, from what would otherwise have been the small-time limits of local rabbi and regional miracle worker to the, the status of cosmic Christ and Savior of the world. And all three of those days happened within the space of about a week. T two of them, uh, those days I'm sure you know, in reverse order, they of course consist of Easter, the ultimate day of Jesus' uh, victory over death and the grave. The event, remember, that was announced by angels and attested to by the apostles and accompanied by around 500 witnesses when the Bible says the tombs were open and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now, the second of those three days, still working backwards, is, is today, Palm Sunday, that I just read to you about. And the third, I'm sure you know, but you may not realize how it fits with the other two of Holy Week. And so I didn't want to just do the, the plain, you know, same Palm Sunday message you hear every year. So I want you to really look at this. So in the sequence of Jesus' daily life, again, working backwards from Easter, Palm Sunday, the day I'm talking about would have happened yesterday. Would have happened yesterday that week in a tiny town of Bethany, in a tiny little house of a lesser-known family made up of sisters Mary and Martha, uh, and the brother that they lived with, a brother whose tragic illness and premature death God used as a catalyst to set in motion the events of Holy Week, uh, events that altered the course of history and secured the eternal destiny of the people of God, uh, events that the early church and, and our Orthodox brothers and sisters still today uh, acknowledge as a day called Lazarus Saturday, Lazarus Saturday. So just so you don't think I'm crazy, I want to give you scripture to back this up. Anybody heard of Lazarus Saturday? Okay. So just so you don't think I lost my mind. Uh, John chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. So six days before the Passover, which would have been yesterday, right? Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. And when the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, so today, Palm Sunday, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, and so they took branches of palm trees. And they went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. And the reason why the crowd went to meet him was they had heard he had done this sign. And then the Pharisees said to each other, There's nothing we can do. Look, everyone's gone after him. 
And Matthew's account adds to this that when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? Who is this? And so what this means is on Saturday night, before they traveled to Jerusalem for Passover week, Jesus and his disciples enjoyed a dinner party in Bethany with Mary and with Martha and with some of their friends and relatives to celebrate the resurrection of their brother Lazarus from the dead. This is the same dinner party at which Mary anointed Jesus in preparation for the week that lay ahead of him, just as as Anne referenced. John chapter 12, verse 3 says, Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. A perfume, we're told, was worth 300 days' wages. Uh, And if you remember the story, it made quite a spectacle when she did it, didn't it? And word got out. And the news of the party got out. And the fact that Jesus was there, and we read, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came out not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. And so this large crowd heard that Jesus had returned to Bethany. They heard that Lazarus was with him, and so they wanted to see the the healer and the one who was healed, right? They wanted to see the one who was raised from the dead. Uh, And this was a huge deal because, of course, like, resurrections don't just happen every day, do they? Uh, And even in the recorded annuals of God's greatest prophets, they're rare, but rumors of them now have been following Jesus for months. Right? There, was, there was this widow's son in the town of Nain, and then there was this little girl near Galilee, and now Mary and Martha's brother. And I suppose, I, I guess if you're a skeptic in that day and time, you could eh, maybe chalk up one or two of those to oh, someone that could have revived from a coma, or maybe somebody who recovered from a near-death experience. But when Jesus uh, raised the daughter of Jairus, remember, she had just passed away while he was on the way to heal her of her sickness, Right? You can maybe write that one off. Uh, The widow's son had been dead a little longer when Jesus interrupted his funeral procession and brought him back right there on the roadside as the young man was being transported for burial. Uh, You can maybe write that one off. But that was not the case with Lazarus, right? Uh, With Lazarus, there was no way of writing him off because Lazarus had been dead and in his tomb for four days when Jesus arrived to revive him. Uh, So he was definitely dead. He was so dead that the King James Version of John 11 said, by this time he stinketh. (laughs) Because he had been dead for four days, so I'm sure he did. And so the resurrection of Lazarus, though, was a powerful sign about Jesus' absolute power over death and his claims to be God the Son and Savior. And so the people were anxious to see both of them, right? Both Jesus and Lazarus to see if everything they had heard was true. And when the chief priests got wind of this, they were absolutely apoplectic. Right? They, they, were, they were just seething with rage over this dinner party and the crowd and over what was going on with Lazarus and Jesus. Because remember, the chief priests had already decided for, in their words, the good of the nation, right? For the good of the nation, which was really code for the good of their own political power uh, and the good of padding their purses and the good of their own personal reputation. They'd already decided that Jesus had to be put to death. And now they added Lazarus to that list. And he needed to go too for at least two reasons. First, because Lazarus' resurrection from the dead confirmed that Jesus had performed a messianic miracle. 
and thereby verified his claims to be the Christ. And so the chief priests figured, hey, with Lazarus dead again, people would likely begin to doubt it had ever happened in the first place, and maybe the story would die down. And secondly, we're told, many Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Right? Going away from the hypocrisy of the chief priests and the Pharisees and rejecting their dead teaching and their hollow authority, very literally leaving them and following Jesus. And so they thought, well, if we destroy the evidence, if they killed Lazarus again, maybe things might go back to normal. But don't forget, the events of his release from the tomb hadn't happened in secret, had they? Because we read in, in John 12, 11, what's it say? The, the crowd. The crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. And did that word ever spread? And that crowd, that crowd that was relatively small at first, that, that started to swell, just like Anne's beautiful music, if you heard it starting out small and just, just swelling to a crescendo, gawking to see this rabbi from Galilee and whether perhaps maybe he'd perform another miracle like they'd heard about. And remember, too, Jesus usually traveled around pretty quietly, didn't he? I mean, a lot of times the Gospels record Jesus saying things like, okay, go, but don't tell anybody about me. Uh, but today broke that mold. And that groundswell around Jesus started to move closer to the holy city. And it not only continued to grow, it began to blend with the, the band of festival pilgrims en route to the temple precincts. And also to its collision course with the very man that Jesus needed to convict him of treason and sentence him to death come Friday morning. And that man entering Jerusalem in a parade of his own from the exact opposite side of the city was the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. So you just have to imagine all this happening at once, right? So the sights and sounds of the imperial procession of Pilate, right? The, uh, the marching of soldiers' feet, the, the, the clanking of, of saddles, the clinking of bridles, the, the beating of, of drums, uh, this huge swirl of dust behind the military parade as the Romans advanced through the city. And then there's Jesus' little procession. Very different, right? Beginning no more than like maybe a few loose stones rolling down the side of Olivet across the Kidron Valley, but, but gaining in a momentum more akin to an avalanche off a mountain range as it reached the eastern gate into the city, where, where our Lord, in, in almost comic mockery of the other parade, you know, with all the, the might of Rome and the glory of Caesar's army and the authority of the governor, where our Lord Jesus intentionally sets in motion his own well-planned and perfectly timed parade that was designed to happen right then and right there for all the world to see. Because make no mistake about it, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And he knew precisely where he was going. And he knew it meant a date with death as he rode into town. But church, he rode into town anyway. And thereby funneling all the events from the miracle of Lazarus Saturday and the hope and the joy that day had inspired in the lives of his followers, along with, with all the hatred it had stoked up among the leadership uh, into the spark that set off Palm Sunday like the crack of a starter's pistol at the beginning of a race. Uh, a, a race that would end at the finish line of Mount Calvary and, and the horror of the cross that lay ahead. Because... When we stand at the starting gate of Palm Sunday, the stage, as we've seen, is already set, right? All, all, all the players are, are in their places. And our Lord rides that colt for which he himself had sent. And he permitted the people to hail him as a king. 
to, to praise him publicly in a manner befitting royalty, waving those palm branches and, and placing their garments in his path and, and singing the pilgrim song that we sang this morning, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And church, that wasn't by chance either. That's another direct link in scripture because that phrase Hosanna appears only once in that way in the Old Testament. And that's in Psalm 118, the coronation psalm. Uh, and that's what the crowd were singing and shouting as Jesus entered the city. This hymn that was so familiar to the people, just, just as familiar as all the songs we sang this morning. Because it too describes the coming of a king into the city. But what's so striking about it is in that coronation psalm, the king that enters comes not to receive a throne, but to ascend the altar top and make a sacrifice. And I want to read you just a little section of it. If you're following along still, this is Psalm 118, beginning in verse 19. And remember, this is the, the hymnal that Israel is singing from. So they would have sang, Open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in and thank the Lord. These gates lead to the presence of the Lord, and the godly enter here. I thank you for answering my prayer and giving me victory. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's wonderful to see. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Hosanna, please, Lord. Please save us, please, Lord. Please give us success. And those words in verse 25 that save us translates from the Hebrew phrase Hosanna or Hosanna in the Anglicized version. Save us, deliver us, we pray. And so when we get to the time of Jesus' triumphal entry, that's what the people are calling out as they travel into Jerusalem with Jesus. They're shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, save us. Save us, we pray, deliver us. So they're making a prayer for deliverance and they call Jesus son of David, king of Israel. Identifying him with the royal line, which on the one hand was treason against Rome and on the other recognizing him as the Messiah of the Davidic covenant, which was blasphemy against Judaism. But this is the psalm taken up by the pilgrims to celebrate Jesus' entry to Jerusalem. And again, no accident. It's divine design. But while the crowds that Jesus might be recognized as as the long-awaited Messiah of Israel, what they don't see, or perhaps what they refuse to see, is what kind of king Jesus intended to be and how he's going to reign. Because Hosanna isn't the last line of that psalm they were singing. It continues, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. And he has made his light shine upon us. Join the festival with branches up to the horns of the altar. And so you see, the people cried out to be saved, and God didn't ignore them. He sent them a savior. Just not the way they expected. Because the altar on which Jesus will pour out the blood of the covenant is not the bronze altar of the temple, but it's the table of the Lord's Supper in the upper room that we're going to celebrate Thursday night. And the throne that Jesus is about to ascend as king is not the golden throne of David, but the wooden throne of the cross. And so you see, Jesus had come to set up a kingdom, just not the kind anybody was looking for. Because the people wanted to use Jesus as a means to an end. They wanted to use him to overthrow the Romans. And maybe to feed them more loaves and fishes like he had done before. Maybe even to raise them from the dead like he had done for Lazarus. Instead of just having our Lord as an end in himself. But church, Jesus triumphal entry into the holy city and his conquest this week of death and hell 
come resurrection morning will not be through the power of his armies. And it will not be from the praises of the masses or even the wonder of miracles, but through the offering of his own life and by means of his own blood. The blood of the covenant, the blood that brings exiles home. The blood that sets captives free and that resurrects dead hearts to eternal life. And it all starts right here. This weekend, with the miraculous rebound of Lazarus from the grave yesterday, leading directly to the final eruption now of unrelenting hostilities on the part of our Lord's enemies who have been plotting to kill him all along. And into this parade of palms today that takes us, in essence, from one empty grave to another, right? From the the short-term empty grave of the brother of Mary and Martha, who church history tells us was later appointed by Paul and Barnabas uh, as the bishop of Cyprus and who had to die a second time at the age of 60, to the contrast of the eternally empty tomb of Easter and the one who said in Revelation 1.18, I am he who lives. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And church, all the pomp of Rome and all the rage of the Pharisees and all the praise and blame of the pilgrims that chased after him can't ever change that. And praise God, nothing else can either. As our Lord rides in triumph into the hearts and minds of those who are his. Does that include you today? Because as Jesus comes now to accomplish all of that, remember our text today says, when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? Who is this? And if you haven't answered that question, or if maybe you're just realizing you haven't answered it correctly uh, in light of the truth of God's word, I want to invite you to do that before you leave here today. To answer the question of who is this? Because now's the time. Today's the day. Don't let his parade pass you by. It may never come your way again. Because for those of you who don't know Christ, you're still in the grave. You're as dead as Lazarus in the tomb with the spiritual stench of sin hanging over you. Uh, And no way to make yourself alive. And just as a corpse can't do anything to save itself, neither can you. Uh, You can't even produce the desire to call on God. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. But But if you're here today, and if you hear the voice of the Lord calling you out of that grave here, and the Bible says if you respond to that call and repent of your sins and confess Christ with your mouth, you will be saved. And you'll be transformed from a lifeless, sin-filled corpse into a vibrant, living child of the living God. And you can do that right where you are. You don't have to walk down this aisle. You don't have to sign a card. You don't have to raise your hand. But just surrender to the holy mercy of our Heavenly Father. And those of us who are in Christ, we who are in Christ and living already in the power of His resurrection, the Bible says to you and I today in Colossians 3, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, where he's seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above and not on the things of earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Church, that's the glory of his second coming. That's what we're waiting for. And when he comes again, he's not going to be mounted on a donkey, but he's coming back on a war horse. In a coronation parade, the likes of which no one has ever seen. And what a day, what a day that is going to be. Amen. We pray with me. 
Lord, we're looking for that coming day when our Savior returns. We're looking for that day when the clouds part, when heaven opens, uh, when you say uh, to your son, go get my children, when that room is ready in heaven. Uh, Father, whether that happens at our death or at your son's return, uh, make us ready. And Lord, if there's even one here among us today or one that may be listening that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, uh, I ask, Father, that you would melt their hearts of stone, that you would open their blocked ears, uh, unstop their blinded eyes, uh, and you would redeem them, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask you, Lord, to be with us as we go into this Holy Week, uh, as we come later in the week to celebrate your time in the upper room with your disciples, and then come next Sunday for Resurrection Day. Uh, be with us, Lord. Draw us to you, and let us share this message of the gospel uh, with everyone we meet this week. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.